Blog Talk Radio. Uh-huh. Hey, 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 my week, week where I just absolutely killed the first verse. Speaking of killed, Nathan, how's your refrigerator, man? You know what, Joe? You can kiss my ass. Matter of fact, you can wipe my ass. <laughs> 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 yeah, my friend just died. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Sorry. I got a, I got What's a up, everybody? It's your boy 3K. And Myson with it. Myson's got a dead fridge. It's your boy 3K on the line with us tonight. Special guest, Tarshaw Times, very own Sosa Creamy Ass. What's up, man? What up, boys? It's nice to be here. What's up, Sosa? So, so those of y'all that don't know, Sosa lives in Hamilton, Canada. Tell us two fun facts about Hamilton, Canada, man. Uh, nasty. And um, it's boring. <laughs> I have too much fun around here. That's not fun at all, man. I heard there's a cheese trail nearby, though. You know, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> man, what, what's the deal, know, my... What? No, what's up? I just want to know, like, how the hell did Sosa become a Rams fan? Like, how did you not become, like, a MP fan? <laughs> How'd you become oh, a Rams man. fan, Sosa? I don't really know, to be I guess... The earliest memory I got is, like, I have an older brother, right? So when we were young, you play video games with your older brother, and he's better than you. And the earliest memory I got is we had, like, this football game. It wasn't Madden, though. I can't remember what it was. But he would pick the Titans. What's the, I, what's, what's the Canadian version of Madden? Hold on. Hold <laughs> on. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know what it was, though. I can't remember for the life of me. It was a while ago. But I guess it must have been. Probably after the Super Bowl because the two teams were uh, the Titans and the Rams, like in the demo, I guess. And my brother would always pick the Titans, and I'd get the Rams younger, and I was worse. And um, wait, wait. So did you guys only have the demo? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you game. had the demo to some knockoff Madden. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you became. That's the best. I became a Rams fan story ever. <laughs> Seriously. I don't know. As a kid, I we just had a match, and we only had the demo, so I got stuck with the Rams. So. <laughs> Seriously. I had no one else to pick. That was basically Wow. Darian Hatcher's 1999 football experience, eh? It's the best <laughs> way to play two teams. <laughs> wow. That almost put me in a better mood. <laughs> it should. That's better than a than a refrigerator dime. That cancels it out. The two the two team Canadian Madden. That's a hell of a story. We're good. But we got Sosa. We got Myson. Uh, all right. Let's try to focus. Let's get things going. We're supposed to have Brandon Bate on tonight. Brandon, moment of silence for you. Don't know where you're at. Get on the show. No plan B. Record one out for you. Missing out, man. Yeah, I guess so. No plan the B. Uchi we didn't Wally have a plan of the Tertio Times Hey. Well, hey, there you go. We had no speaking plan of, B for plan speaking B. Speaking of no plan B, yeah, I know. Uh, easiest segue ever. Uh, where do we want to start? 
Well, we got to start with the win. The the another. This is the sixth uh, thirty point game out of nine games, most in the NFL. Got to talk about it, right? It, it, what do we? What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with total offensive output, or do you want to pu- start with the first half, the tale of two halves? Let's talk about this this uh, this BS first first half. <laughs> You know, uh, it, it's funny because I read a quote today um, when I was at work and I'm at my desk, and the quote was from Sean Payton, not Sean Payton, but Sean McVay's halftime speech, and he's like, "Well, we're playing, we're playing about as bad as you can play. Now we can either piss down our leg, <laughs> we can, we can go out there and do something about it." <laughs> and I was like, "That's it. That's what. That's how he motivates them, but it worked apparently." So. I'm guessing there was probably more to it, but that was the the bulk of the uh, the subject because they played they played pretty bad. It was it was it was um, probably one of the worst first halves they had, you know, for a half where you didn't have any turnovers or anything like that to just not be able to punch it in, not be able to move the ball, kept punting a lot of times. It was it was a it was kind of a sloppy first half. What are you guys thinking about it, Joe? You got something? No, speak on it, Sos. Come on, man. I don't know. I think you guys know how I feel about it. I thought, obviously, they didn't play well. That's for sure. The O-line struggled. Sure. And really, that's where it starts, right? But I think um, I think they're just – they should start taking more uh, shots, like, early. I think uh, the defense was kind of, like, geared up towards the line of scrimmage. And I think if you take a shot or two, you could try and maybe move them back a little bit and open up some space underneath for everyone. I thought the weirdest thing overall wasn't even what was going on with the game. It was the fan reaction. And I get it. Look, the uh, 2016 and before, everybody's got that so far in the rearview mirror that it's not really affecting a ton of what's going on. But this is the same fan base who thought that talking badly about a team before a 4-12 and season was too negative. And now when you're ahead at halftime – nine to seven, you would have thought the Rams were losing by 20 points the way that people were reacting. Yep. It was, it, it was, the, it was the boomerang effect from going from hashtag seven and nine bullshit to hashtag six and two bullshit. We, we had the lead at halftime. We hadn't gotten anything right yet. It's just crazy to me how, how quickly the standards for this fan base have changed. We got people going into this next, you know, six games, five game stretch, where they're playing much, much tougher competition, talking about the Rams need to go four and one. What are you talking? What? Are we talking about the same team? We haven't had a winning season since 2003. What y'all talking about, man? So the most interesting thing to me about the first half was how suddenly not a, a, a half of football where you're winning nine to seven is what we were aiming for a year ago. Now it's suddenly unacceptable in time to panic. I think it's wild. Hey, it's a good thing. I think I, I think it's a good thing that, that that people are expecting more of the Rams, and it's kind of that uh, that culture shift, you know, where Sean McVay comes in and he changes the culture. Like when a coach changes the culture of the players, he doesn't just change the culture of the players; he changes the cultures of the, the fans because as the as the players begin to expect more of themselves, the fans do too. You know, when they hold themselves to a higher standard, and it shows in their play then the fans suddenly begin to show, hold themselves. Like, if you look at the Giants right now, I don't think there's a single Giants fan that's looking at them like, 
I expect them to hold themselves more accountable when the players don't give a damn. <laughs> it's like, why would they? You know, so it, it makes perfect sense that the uh, the fans are like, well, wait a minute, what's this nine seven? No, that's that's not gonna work. You know, like winning football uh, is suddenly no longer acceptable. <laughs> exactly. But let's talk about those seven points real quick. So <laughs> the Rams maintained that seven, didn't allow anything else. That was that that one seven. I, it looked like busted coverage to me. You know the way that uh, I, I went back and I watched the play a couple times. So I'm just like, all right, this it looks like something's wrong about this because they're not in a zone. You know, you you, you have Ellington just kind of breaks free up the middle, skates in completely untouched, no one even nearby him. So I'm like, okay, busted coverage. But then after that, it's like nothing. This was one of the best games I've seen from the, uh, the defensive unit, and they didn't really allow too much in the running game, which I was shocked. I was like, as yeah. much as we've been giving up in the run, they they held it in check for the most part. What do you guys think about the defense? I think uh, I think they did really good. I think probably the, the best game they've had so far was this game, which I guess was kind of lucky that they played Scott Tolzien. But other than that, I think they did really good uh, yesterday because, one, they got a bunch of turnovers. I think it was four in total. And um, they were pressuring Tom Tom Savage pretty often, so he definitely didn't look comfortable back there in the pocket. Yeah, you got the Indianapolis game, we only gave up nine points. The Seattle game, where if we hadn't given up five turnovers, who knows what we could have limited them to. Arizona, obviously, with a shutout, and then today or Sunday. Here's my thing, is if you're the Houston Texans, why is Tom Savage your starting quarterback? Like, I, I get it, you, you know, Deshaun Watson goes down and he's the backup and you got to give him two games to figure it out. Bill O'Brien came out and said, yeah, Tom Savage is going to be our starting quarterback. Like, what do you do? Why? Why? Tom Savage came into yesterday's game completing 45% of his passes. <laughs> it's like, come on, dude, really? Like, that's that's ridiculous, man. But, hey, I read not our problem. The other day, about I think I'm today. Um, Tom Savage's career with the Texans, I believe he's led them to four scoring like TD drives out of just under 70. So, nowhere to go, but up. He he hasn't he hasn't uh, really panned out. Um, but speaking of panning out, let's talk about Robert Woods real quick. That's that's something that's panned out pretty well so far. <laughs> uh, Robert Woods is on pace for 1,000 yards. Now, of course, 171 yards can give you quite the boost, but it's not just the 171 yards. It's the past couple of weeks he's just playing much better. I think he's on a, a four-game streak, I think it is, where he's got at least uh, 70 yards. So he's playing really well lately. So what are we thinking about Robert Woods? I got something to say about it, but I'll let you guys go first. I well, think I'm into. What can I, go ahead, so. Sorry, Joe. I feel uh, I feel a little bit bad about it because at the time we signed him, I mean, this was before the Sammy Watkins trade and all that. So I was a little bit worried about it. Uh, I thought the money was kind of like, uh, but more so than anything, I thought he would have been pigeonholed as a wide receiver. So it worried me, but I guess after uh, the trade of everything kind of changed, and uh, since then, man, he's been unreal. In his past two games, I think. He's but um, he's got 12 catches, 241 yards, and four TDs. So for a guy who couldn't, who couldn't end one of the Rams, his last two games have been pretty impressive. 
four touchdowns last two games. I, I, I just like Myson doing the self-teaser like the old local news commercials used to be. <laughs> you may this, in, this ingredient in your nightly dinner may be killing you, and you might be eating it right now, tonight at 10. Like, no, just tell me, man. What you, what you exactly. got? Right? <laughs> so that's how it rolls, the element of surprise. <laughs> but no, it's 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 like with Woods, it's no secret what like I was thinking. Like it's, it's same 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 along the same lines as Sosa, where it's like, man, you know, we gave did we give him too much money? You know, he and my 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 critical assessment of him, it was it was warranted. You know, you look at his first four years in the NFL, he didn't really get in the end zone a lot. Uh, people say, oh well, you know, he played second fiddle to Sammy Watkins. Well, Sammy Watkins was hurt almost the entire last year they were there together and he was the number one receiver and he just didn't do anything with it, you know? And so, you know, this was, you know, he just had his first career game with two touchdowns, (laughs) you know? So it was like all of my concerns was warranted, but then this year it's like he's a different player. Um, Maybe that's that Sean McVay factor, how he brings it out of, you know, Jared Goff and Todd Gurley, you know, Maybe he's bringing it out of Robert Woods and kind of elevating him and taking him to the next level. But Robert Woods, I mean, he looks more explosive than I've ever seen him look. He's catching the ball much better. His routes are superb. He's just been Mr. Consistent. And honestly, he's become the go-to target. Um, I think going into week one, most people expected the the Rams leading to receiver to be either Sammy Watkins or Cooper Cup, but Robert Woods seems to be the guy, and he's not just catching, you know, five balls for 45 yards or nothing like that. He's he's moving the chains. Like, Robert Woods is picking up yards and Chuck's catching over, averaging over 14 yards a catch. So I would definitely say Robert Woods is probably, honestly, my biggest surprise of the Rams this year. He just – he's really, really taking over that uh, receiver room. He's been bowling out. The one I thing I do wonder is – if we didn't have Sammy Watkins or just somebody operating in that top wide receiver slot on the depth chart, would Robert Woods be as effective, right? If Robert Woods was going against the best cornerback from our opposition every week, would he still be doing this? And, you know, my my worry is that he wouldn't. And the main reason I worry about it is that Sammy Watkins is in a contract year, right? And whatever the chances are, and certainly, obviously, if you go back to those comments he had, what, a month ago, where it sounded like Sammy Watkins was not happy about life. That's the kind of thing where you might worry that we don't re-sign him. And and with some other needs that might be coming down the pipe, the Rams might look at this and say, yeah, next year we're going to go with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, Farrell Cooper. And and I just, I worry that, uh, you know, Robert Woods just won't be anywhere near as effective without somebody like Sammy Watkins just on the field. That Sammy Watkins presence on the field does more than his stats suggest. Well, I would say, like, with that, they've been on the field with each other now for four years, you know, and you really haven't seen this until now. And more so, I'm not crazy about what Sammy Watkins is doing. I mean, Sammy Watkins is, to me, is proven to be a bad trade because, I, on the, sure. for example, if you go back and you watch the 94-yard touchdown by Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins – runs a, uh, a, a Drano, you know, and as he's running the route, it's the most, it's the saddest route I've ever seen. Like, it was so lazy. He walked 90% of the time. Like, he 
didn't even try to sell it. Luckily, the the coverage is terrible, you know, back there, and they just walked up on it anyway. But there was he did nothing to really pull the safety down away from Robert Woods. The safety just came down and took itself out of the play unnecessarily because Sammy Watkins didn't sell it. And this is something that I've seen every single game on various routes where Sammy Watkins is just like, I'm not getting it. You know, even you know, everybody talked about it um, against the Seahawks. I think it was where he quit on the route. You know, where he just didn't go as hard as he could have. You, I'm seeing it every single week, so it's like, why even bother? You know, he he's not even doing the thing that you need him to do anyway. You know, you're you're talking about taking that attention, yeah. and I'm just not saying I'm going balls out to take that attention. Like, so so, what do you think? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's that's always kind of been a bit of a problem with some receivers, right? You got one of the greatest receivers ever, like Randy Moss, who won so many routes throughout his entire career, right? But I don't know. For me, I think it was worth it. I multiple reasons. One, I mean, he came late, obviously, so the chemistry just isn't there. It won't be the entire year, which sucks. But um, when they get a real option, so I guess if he resigns next year, I think it'll get better. So, for example, mm-hmm. if it's a third and seven or something like that, let's say, why would Goff look when he had six and five months and half a year basically to work longer like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, right? It's natural that their chemistry is better and they kind of know each other better. I mean, Cooper Cup even lived with Goff in the offseason. So, but I think in terms of uh, stats, obviously Sammy's not where basically anybody expected him to be. But I think, uh, like Joe was saying earlier, his, his impact probably lies more in the term of number one corners kind of follow him, right? So I think he kind of opens up a lot of space for everyone else. And um, I, I like the trade. I still like it. I still have hope and I'm expecting bigger things if he returns next year. And that's the real thing, right? Is we're going through this next stretch where the, the football is going to be way more important. My son, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a, there's a difference between some of the effort that he's putting into some of those routes but his presence and the fact that he is Sammy Watkins is enough to draw guys out. Like you said, the, whether it was the safety or the cornerback on that touchdown, yeah. Sammy Watkins' presence is what drew him, not what he was doing, just who he is, right? And as that, long as that's working, I think as long as that happens, as long as just being Sammy Watkins is enough to draw that defender, I think it's going to be hard not to feel good about the trade. I think the question is when we get into – Look, we're playing three division leaders coming up, Minnesota Vikings, New Orleans Saints, and uh, who's the other one we got coming up that's a division leader? Yeah. When we get into those games, are, are they, you know, are they going to respect Sammy Watkins the same degree or because they've got some talent, especially when you talk about the Vikings defense, because they've got enough talent, are they going to hold back and force Sammy Watkins to beat him? And if that doesn't happen and they don't, you know, respect him to the same degree, maybe that touchdown isn't there for Robert Woods. I think that might be where we really decide whether that Sammy Watkins trade was worth it because this football is going to matter more than what's come before it. I'll say this, you know, as far as the trade goes, and I get it, you know, the whole decoy thing, but that's an expensive-ass decoy. You're talking about a second-round pick uh, decoy. And trading a pretty a pretty good and trading a pretty good corner in EJ Gaines, you know, solid corner. Sure. Um, that's 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 an expensive decoy, you know. Uh, if that's the case, if we're gonna be okay with that trade, then we need to be okay with uh, Tavon Austin's contract, another decoy. <laughs> you know, like if we're not gonna be okay with Tavon Austin's contract, we shouldn't be okay with 
the uh, the the second round pick for Sammy Watkins just to play D court. Now, it maybe that's worse that's less need whole strategy to be a D court. When you can be a decoy <laughs> and produce, that's when it's worth it. That's less needs whole though, general manager. That's less needs whole general manager strategy. Fifteen million dollars <laughs> for a decoy, a million and a half for your for your top wide receiver. <laughs> so speaking of uh, speaking of, uh, of being able to produce, Jared Goff. Now, one way that uh, Sammy Watkins, the only way Sammy Watkins is going to produce is if he is on the same page of with uh, Jerry Goff. Now, I am on record saying that I do think here in the second half of the season we're going to see them connect a lot more often um, on these deep balls. And the reason I feel that way is because I've, in the past couple of games I've seen Jared Goff just letting it rip downfield. Like, he's been pushing it. I know in the first, like, four weeks, Joe, you were saying, like, you want to see him throw it downfield more. He's, I feel like he was listening. <laughs> he's doing it. He's really pushing it downfield more often in games. He's not afraid to take shots. You're starting to see him put the ball in the air to where it travels at least 20 yards more and more and more. Um, the Rams have become one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL because of that. Um, and Jared Goff is on his way to uh, on his way to being able to finish in about the top six for passing yards in the NFL. So I would definitely say that those things lead me to believe that him and Sammy Watkins will, uh, you know, connect on some more passes. However, it has also led to back-to-back games where Jared Goff has eclipsed his previous career high both over 300 yards. Like, what do we think of that? I love it. It's crazy. I would have never expected anything like this, I guess, before the season. But actually, I have an interesting stat I read on Twitter as well. Um, The complete list of Rams in franchise history to pass for 300-plus yards and three-plus TDs and no INTs in consecutive games is Jared Goff. That's it. The only guy. He's the only one. That's Here's crazy. what I think is interesting. is, And part of it, you don't want to make an excuse, but the quality of the opponent, right? We've played New York and Houston the last two weeks. You go back to the two weeks before the bye, those two weeks combined, Jared Goff had 359 yards. Yet, or Sunday, he had 355. So clearly, he's had much more success in these two games since the bye. How much of that is opponent strength versus him going into the offense? I don't know. Here's a very Joe stat for both of you. Jared Goff threw for 311 yards against New York. He threw for 355 yesterday. If you combine the two, Jared Goff threw for how many passing yards? Six, six, six. The most of the beast. It's a damn nerd. <laughs> McVay is the Antichrist. So check this out. You want you want a, you want some funny stats? So, Jared Goff played in a total of eight games last year. So far this year, he's played in a total of nine. Here's a comparison of stats. He's attempted 221 uh, 221 passes so far, or excuse me, 281 passes so far this year. Last year, it was 205 total. He's completed 61.2%, 54 last year. Here's the kicker, 2,385 yards compared to 1,089. Okay, we're talking about a one-game difference. 2,385 yards compared to 1,089. Like, it's, it's literally so staggering when you look at the difference in just the, the overall play. Even He's even running the ball different. Jared Goff has, is averaging 5.3 yards a carry. <laughs> you know, you know let's, just, let's just soak that in. Jared Goff is actually playing, um, you know, he, he skipped almost – he almost skipped a level. You know, he went from – 
one of the worst performances you've seen. And I think everyone expected him to get better, but he kind of just didn't get better. He skipped the level and got really, really good. You know, he's making really smart decisions with the ball. Um, I, honestly, I feel the, the dumbest decision that he made all season was the interception against Washington where he completely stared down the, re, uh, the receiver. Yes, he has four interceptions on the year, but that was probably the worst interception I've seen him throw this year. Um, it's just he's just a completely different quarterback. In these past two games, yeah, opponent has to play a role in that. But then if we're, we're going to play the opponent thing, then we got to make sure we talk about the broad scope of it. Jacksonville and Arizona's run defense sucked. <laughs> You know, and we went into those games with the mindset of run the ball down their throat, and that's what they did. They they handed it to Gurley. They pounded it. They handed it to Tavon. They pounded it. Like, it was about running the ball as much as you can. But if you go back another week from there, they played Seattle. And after that game, Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas were both on record saying, hey, we have to give respect to Jared Goff because of the way he marched down the field on them. Like, this isn't – we talk about the uh, opponents. Those are scrubs, and that's before they all they were all broken and battered. You know, they were healthy in their game. And he marched down the floor. I got a question like, for y'all, man. I got a question. What's up? Do you do you think the way that the Rams have played this year makes it harder for Jeff Fisher to get another job? Like, I get the idea that it would have been hard well, already. <laughs> do you do you think watching the way that the Rams are playing is going to make it that much harder? Yeah. And Jeff Fisher is sitting at home like, right now watching the Rams like. Oh, I see they're on some seven and two bullshit. <laughs> he's, he's all in his feelings right now. <laughs> he, he's big mad. Like that Fisher is so out of date; it's ridiculous. Like I don't think he gets a job, but that's just me. Unless he's in a front office, I can see him in a front office, or unless he wants to take a defensive coordinator job, I can see him in a front office somewhere. But I don't think he's a head coach again. Yeah, I don't think so either. I how can you justify it? You just honestly can't. So, like the Rams' upcoming schedule, Joe, you you brought it up a minute ago, and they have to play the Vikings, the Saints, Eagles. All those guys are division leaders, you know, and the Titans lead their division, you know. But the uh, as far as the NFC goes, as far as the playoff pictures goes. When, if they were to win all three of those games, why you laugh when you said it? Wait, wait, wait. Why'd you laugh when you said playoff picture? Because it's crazy, right? Like you're talking about <laughs> the four, like the Rams. The Rams equal the fourth team, but the four division leaders, you know, have to play each other. How often does that happen in a season where the back half of the season playoff picture forming and like that's all true them. playoff football? Like that's a pre, that's a sneak peek to the playoffs, you know. And you get the four, you get the four you get the four division leaders. Well, one team has to play the other three. Like the, those other three teams don't all have to play each other. The Rams are the only ones that have to play all three. You know, and so it's like crazy is that that is set up to be that way to where you have the Eagles, the Saints, and the Vikings that the Rams have to go through before they get to the playoffs, and they still have to play the Seahawks again, and they have to go and play the AFC South uh, division leaders in the Titans. It's a crazy back half of the schedule, you know, and those the, winning those games can have major implications on the playoffs. So, no doubt, it's, it, it's something that you have to you that you you can you can say one game at a time, and yes, that's true. But it's hard to not know that. Like Sean McVay knows 
this is a huge stretch coming up. Like, we win these three games, we are, like, the team going into the uh, playoffs. Like, everybody's going to fear us. How do, you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you go about approaching a stretch like that? Like, is this the most difficult stretch that we've seen from the Rams in the last five years? You know, it's been a while since – well, really, let's just go back to 2006, you know, since the last time they played, made the playoffs. Is this the most difficult stretch we've seen them have since then? I can't think of a time where they had something like this. <laughs> I think it's got to be with, uh, with so much on the line, right? If you come out of this little stretch here, even at 500 or – I mean, it's hard to not envision them in the playoffs. So, I think it's got to be the toughest stretch, at least probably in the last five, not more years, basically. It sucks because now – I mean, even if you get in the playoffs, there's a lot of things that can happen, right? You can – be battered and bruised by the time you get there if you can squeeze through these next couple of games but I guess the positive way to look at it too is if the Rams come out of this at 500 or better or squeeze the playoffs well they're probably the real deal right they're going to be like you said you can be ready to go I think yeah, no so doubt. it's going to definitely be a huge little uh, back end of the schedule here for sure the interesting thing to me right now is just how little separates the teams right you got Philly at 8-1 and one. Then you got the three division leaders at six and two, and then obviously you got the Seahawks Panthers sitting there at six and three. They're certainly within striking seven distance, two. but seven and two. The seven three and division two. leaders all are seven yeah. and two. <laughs> and so right now, all you've got for the tiebreakers is that Minnesota beat New Orleans, and both of them are five and one in the NFC. We're four and two. That's the tiebreaker. So that's why we'd be fourth, and Saints would be third. Vikings would be second since they beat New Orleans. So what's going to be interesting is. If the four of us continue to set the pace, which is kind of going to be impossible because we play all three of them. So if exactly. if, if we beat one of the if we beat New Orleans, you got to think Carolina and Atlanta, who's five and four, have a that opens the window for them. Maybe not Philadelphia because they've, they're so far out in front right now in the East. Uh, but if we beat Minnesota, that could open the door for Detroit. Uh, or maybe even Green Bay, who knows? It's just one of those things where it's going to be really interesting. It is a preview of playoff football, and right now there's just so little that separates them. Uh, it might it might come down to these tiebreakers, these head-to-head tiebreakers. That's what's got the Vikings over the Saints right now. So how many games, you know, the, the Rams have the Vikings, the Saints, then they have the Eagles and the uh, Seahawks, Titans, and the 49ers. Of those games, like how many would you say the Rams are like legit, straight up favorites? And then so then there's probably like one or two that's a push. Then there's some where they're like the Eagles. I know that most of the world outside of the Rams fan base is looking at that as the Rams as a loss for the Rams. So like how many would you say is a uh, the Rams are favorites in? Like what games would you would you pick the Rams right now, Joe? What, what would you pick? I'd say three. I'd say you got New Orleans at home, Arizona on the road, and San Francisco at home. The Philly home game, I would have pretty much as a push. I don't think that I don't. I don't know that Philly would be favorites in it. That might come down to being a pick 'em. The problem with the Minnesota, Seattle, Tennessee games is that they're all on the road, um, and it's just it. You know, for quality teams, as good as all three are, it would be hard to favor the Rams on the road. It doesn't mean we can't get the win. We went into Dallas and Jacksonville and got wins. Um, but to, to expect that kind of thing, especially when you talk about odds, the only ones I'd have us favored in right now is New Orleans at home, week 12, 
Arizona on the road, and then obviously finishing out the season. But, yeah, that Philadelphia one's going to be the interesting one. What about you, Sos? I'm kind of on the opposite of you. I'm, uh, I guess I may be looking at it optimistically, but I think, like, realistically, if I'm asked who the favorites are, I would probably in the Minnesota game, the Arizona game, Seattle, Tennessee, and obviously San Fran. I would say that we're not the favorites against the Saints and the Eagles. I just think, I don't know. I just, I think the, the Saints are just too explosive, and their defense is just balling right now. And uh, I think Philly's defense is probably going to present some real problems for us. I think, um, as, like, we've seen it now, even this past game, as soon as our offensive line struggles a bit, you can see that basically, I mean, that would probably go for any offense, but our whole offense essentially crumbles, right? And I think uh, Philly's front seven is just insanely strong, and they got a lot of depth. So I think uh, they're probably going to struggle in that game. But I think optimistically, I would say about in five of those games, five out of seven, I'd say they're favorites. You know what's funny so, is that it, this is one of those things where the next game, playing in Minnesota, is going to recalibrate everything based on how we think about these games. Because we haven't played, and I don't mean this, you know, to be insulting to Arizona, the Giants, and the Texans, but we just haven't played an opponent of our caliber since week six when we went to Jacksonville. That was a month ago. So the last month, we've spent all this time playing inferior opponents. And credit the Rams, they handled all three of those games, Arizona, New York, and Houston. But those didn't really test and show us the caliber of this team the way that we're about to find out. So if we go into Minnesota and get a win – now you're talking about, oh, man, they could be favored in all these other games. If we lose that game, it, it, it recalibrates everything. This is the first game in a long, long, long time where we're going to have to recalibrate what we think about this team. Yo, let me tell you how much I love the fact that you just said that because you literally read my mind. One thing I love to do is I love to look at the big picture, and I don't just always take it for face value. You know, if, you took it, if you're going to take it for face value, looking at this Vikings game going into it, the Rams – Offense should probably, at the very least, be held in check. You know, it should be a, a struggle if you're just looking at the numbers because the Vikings is, you know, the defense is ranked so high and they look so good on paper. Now, here's the catch to that. Yes, they, they're get, they're fifth in the NFL in points per game that they're allowing and they're fifth in yards that they're allowing and 12th in pass defense and third in rush defense. But then you have to look at who they've played over the last couple of games. They played Washington. Kirk Cousins absolutely shredded them. You know, when they play a good quarterback, they're not the same, all right? Cousins threw for 327 yards, all right? But they don't have a run game. So, obviously, their their run defense is going to be a little bit padded. Then, before that, they played the Browns. Before that, they played the Ravens. Before that, they played they, – they were the team that knocked Aaron, Aaron Rodgers out. So, Aaron Rodgers only attempted three passes or four passes or something like that. He was two or four. You know, he didn't even have a chance – then Brett Hundley comes in, who's not ready. So, obviously, the, the pass defense looked way better than what it might have been. Then you look at the Bears. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, we know what their quarterback situation is. Mitchell Bisky isn't doing much of anything right Mitchell. now. You know, exactly, Mitchell. You know, so, it, it, uh, it, it's like when you look at the big picture of things, uh, be, oh, you have to go all the way back to the Lions was the last decent quarterback they played, which was Matthew Stafford. But that entire Lions offense has been struggling all year. You know, they don't have a run game and uh, they don't have a consistent pass game because they don't have any consistent weapons as Golden Tate has been hurt. Uh, and before that, it was Tampa Bay Bucks, where Jameis Winston's been dealing with a shoulder injury all year, hasn't done anything. 
Uh, the Steelers, they lost to the Steelers. By the way, they also lost to the Lions, and that was against that struggling Lions offense. They lost to the Lions. You know, and they lost to the Steelers, and they uh, they beat the Saints, but Drew Brees did his thing. So it's like, at what point do you say, okay, yeah, this defense looked good on paper, but who have they really played to prove themselves? And uh, the same thing goes for the Eagles. You know, the Eagles are 8-1 and one right now, but they've only played two teams with winning records, and they lost one of those games. So it's like, so it's like, it's like, are we, are we, are we truly seeing? And this is why I have a little more confidence in the Rams because I, when I look at the schedules so far, the Rams have played more teams with winning records than the Saints, the Eagles, and the uh, Vikings. By far, it's not even close. They've played better teams. I, I don't know which one of you guys is better suited to answer this. Has there ever been a decent human being named Mitchell? I doubt there's ever been a decent man named Mitchell. I think everyone has been a disgusting human being. <laughs> Hot take. I'll just throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> get at, well, get out of Mitchell of the world. There. Hashtag Kershaw hashtag Radio. I'm a Mitchell and I'm a good person. Let us know. I hope you know we just lost every Mitchell fan that we had because of you. Thank you. Every every Mitchell. <laughs> every, all the Mitchells. Every Mitchell is like, man, forget this show. <laughs> What's the, what is that hashtag? Not all men, uh, not all Mitchells. Hashtag not all Mitchells. <laughs> not all Mitchells. <laughs> Mitchell so, lives matter. Look. So, you know, outside of Mitchells being bad and that they matter and it's not all Mitchells, <laughs> we need to make we need to coin that before somebody else take it. But uh so with the with the with the defenses that we, you know we're going to see um and then the offenses, like those those offenses I think are legit. You know, Carson Wentz is mm-hmm. legit playing good football. Um so is Case Keenum. <laughs> Case Keenum is playing good football. Case Keenum's back, you know, baby. Case Keenum, yeah, look, Case Keenum looks like the Case Keenum he looked like in the early portion of last season for the Rams. I think people forget how well he played to start the season for the Rams last year. He played some really good football last year, and the team bought into him. You know, guys was backing him up. They were they were all in on Keenum. I'm not talking coaches. I'm talking the players. They wanted to play for Keenum. So, it's not a complete surprise to me that he's playing well right now, especially when you have a coaching staff that supports you. But that's neither here nor there. But either way, so looking at the offenses, you know, Drew Brees and all these guys, what are we? What should we expect from this uh, Rams defense? They're gonna really. This is where they're gonna really get tested. Unlike the offense, I think the 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 opponents. Like I said, you look at who they played. I don't think the Sean Kaiser is a real threat to blow up your defense. <laughs> you know, that's just me. But. You look at who the defenses have played, I question. But you look at the offenses, the offenses are pretty legit. These are going to be some very challenging games for the defense. What are we expecting? I'd be worried. That's just me being honest. But I just – I don't know. I feel like every first drive so far that uh, this year at least, the Rams' defense allows whoever they're playing against to just walk down the field. And it feels like they kind of need to get woken up, right? I feel like they've got to start fast. Seems like second half is always way better than the first half, which is they're even making adjustments. Last year they didn't even think about it, but um, I would I would uh, I would be nervous about it to be honest, just because 
all the offenses we're, we're about to go against are just clicking. Every one of them are in the top half. You got to face Drew Brees, who has a Super Bowl ring. You got Carson Wentz, who might be the MVP in the NFL right now. So I think with our lack of pass rush from a four-man rush and our inability here and there, I guess, to stop run games, it would kind of worry me, especially as December comes around. What you thinking, Joe? I don't know. See, that was very so. If you guys are offering all this smart analysis, I feel like I have to play the village idiot to foil off. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. The play. You say I have to act was, like. You said Sosa's throwing out smart analysis. He did. Hey, credit where credit's due. Real news. He didn't even mention. He didn't mention Chris Godwin. He didn't mention the GDD hashtag GDD <laughs> inside joke right there. Um, no, it is what it is, man. I mean, the, the 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 most interesting thing to me is just the scope of the challenge. We haven't we haven't done this since 2010, man. We haven't we haven't played week 12, week 13, week 14 meaningful football in a long, long, long time. This is going to be dope. And yeah, the challenge is there. I think the challenge is going to be there for both sides. Whether you talk about Minnesota's defense, New Orleans offense. Philadelphia's offense, Seattle's defense. I think it's going to be variable challenges, and I think that's what's going to really test this team is there's no one-size-fits-all strategy to get through this. It's going to be adjustments, and it's going to require different people stepping up, you know, different phases of the offense, different levels of the defense. And it's, uh, you know, I think, I think it's exciting just the scope of the challenge. I think more than anything, I might just enjoy this week, Monday to Saturday the most. The idea that we're a good team. We got meaningful football in front of us, and it's been a hell of a long time since I could say either of those things. And so this Monday to Saturday might be the best Monday to Saturday that I've had as a Rams fan in a long time. I think that's going to be. So, but yeah, Sosa did offer to, some just... some quality analysis, Myson hater. <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to annihilate. Let's shit annihilate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm about to go wreck some shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, no, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, I honestly think that we're looking at some shootouts in the near future. Um, and it could very well start. It could very well start this week with the Vikings. You know, we could see, we could definitely see a shootout. Because, honestly, I, Jerry, McKinnon, Jerry McKinnon scares me. I think Jerry McKinnon is Ram Kryptonite. He's the exact player that can – really, really hurt the Rams' defense because he's so explosive and he can come out of the backfield or he could just run the ball. Um, I think Jerry McKinnon, you know, he's been off the past two weeks. I think this is the type of game because the Rams struggle in stopping the run already. And Alec Ogletree, I don't know what the hell he does most of the time. Unless you keep Mark Barron on him, unless you assign Mark, hey, Mark Barron, this is your guy because Mark Barron has played very well this year and his coverage has been very, very well. You know, unless you assign Mark Barron to him, I think that the Rams could be in trouble because of Jerry McKinnon. I think he can move the ball consistently. Um, so starting this week um, with the Vikings, you know, what should we watch for? That's what I'm watching for. I'm watching for Jerry McKinnon and who's going to be covering him. What are you guys watching for? Here's what I'm watching. The weirdest, the weirdest player in the NFL, Adam Thielen. There is no way to explain this, dude. This is a – White wide receiver out of Minnesota State. Nobody is, there's no Minnesota. There's a good chance that Adam Thielen's lying, that he's just like, where'd you go to school? Uh, Minnesota State. And everybody went, okay, I guess that's a place. Nobody even checked. We just assumed that's a place. Come on, man. Adam Thielen, he, you know where he's hey. from? You know where he was born? 
Detroit Lakes. So, so you're from up there. Is there even a place named Detroit Lakes? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I ain't never heard of that. So, so you're from up there. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Look, Detroit Lakes. Why, I'm from, why, I'm from why, Hamilton Lakes. Why, why, why do white guys always got to get hated on every season? <laughs> It's not eight on. Why, why I mean, look at look. There's plenty of white wide receivers. Give him the love. Give him all the love. It's always the surprise when the white receiver balls out. Uh, that's I just like Christian McCaffrey. It, it just is what it is, man. Too. Christian McCaffrey sure. is shit. I try to tell y'all. <laughs> I try to tell y'all he's not a running back. The the mother he's yeah. he's a damn he's a slot receiver. That's what he is. <laughs> he's not a running back. But when I made the scouting report, they were like, "Oh no, you're just saying you don't want to give the white guy some love." No, he's not a running back. <laughs> like that's just that simple. I think he's averaging like two point three yards or something. Minnesota State is not a real college. Detroit Lakes is not a real place. And Adam Thielen is just Randy Moss in a rubber mask. So, so what you got? That's funny you say that. I think I tweeted it actually that uh, he's he's a problem. That's like the best way to describe it. Adam Thielen's the problem. It's really that simple. I think <laughs> I think Mike, but my boy Kayvon's gonna have to lock him up. Oh shit. <laughs> Kayvon Webster, well, lockdown corner. Well, hey, at Tom least we got four in a row. It was a good streak while it lasted. <laughs> I'm worried about it. He's going to be a problem. No, the, here's my description of Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen is what everyone wants Cooper Cup to be. Yeah. Kind of. Well, here's the yeah. difference, though. Cooper Cup came into the league, and he was ready to produce. Adam Thielen didn't, and I just pulled up the stats. His rookie year, Adam Thielen had eight receptions on 14 targets. Year two was 12 receptions, 18 targets. Last year, that jumped to 69 receptions, nice, on 92 targets for just under 1,000 yards. That's in 16 games. This year, through nine games, he's got 56 receptions on 87 targets for 793. So it's one of those things where he developed as an NFL player way, way, way under the radar, and it took him a couple – I mean, that's one of those things when you come from a fictional university like Minnesota State, it takes you a couple <laughs> years to adjust to the pace of the game the and the strength of your competition. Um, but he's done it. I think Adam Thielen's one of the most amazing stories in the NFL. You don't see this kind of stuff happen much these days. All the shade was thrown right there. You just you just took a whole damn palm tree and threw it at him. <laughs> you know what he kind of looks like? He looks like Case Keenum with facial hair. Oh, <laughs> Long-lost God. twin brother. <laughs> so, speaking of Case Keenum, can the Rams slow down a red hot Case Keenum? Ah, yes. This is the this is the question we got to get to. This is can the Rams stop for. Case Keenum? <laughs> I don't know. I honestly don't even know. I I want to say yeah because I feel like I feel like eventually he's just going to crumble. But at the same time, I just don't know that that we offer enough pass rush to make it happen. Mostly yeah. where where our pass rushes come from and the pressures and things like that outside of Aaron Donald obviously is from blitzing right and at the end of the day when you're with Tom Savage you probably don't have to worry as much right as opposed to when you're playing uh, Case Keenum who's throwing Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen and like these guys are not that DeAndre Hopkins and, and Will Fuller camp but he's a lot better than Tom Savage is at pushing the ball down so 
I feel like it's kind of like a chess match, right? You're going to wait for those blitz like always, and I mean, you might get burnt or you might you might get them down. So I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough one to call. Two I'm things. Number one, is, I would pay. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm just gonna say this. I was just gonna. Case Keenum yep. looks like the poorest of poor versions of Aaron Rodgers in the last game that he played. <laughs> I mean, he mm. was the way he was scrambling around back there. And all jokes aside, you know, and it's not something that we haven't seen before. You know, one of the best plays we've seen in a quarterback make in recent Rams history was from Case Keenum, now got called back because of Greg Robinson. But I think we all remember the play where he's scrambling around fighting all day. He did it twice in, like, consecutive weeks where he's scrambling around fighting all day and finds a receiver downfield, but he gets called back. And then another time he scrambles around, scrambles around, scrambles around. Then he breaks for, like, 30 yards and he gets called back. So you know he has that ability. But you've seen him doing it play after play after play against the Redskins where he's just buying time, buying time. It was – sort of like uh, what Russell Wilson does so well, how he's able to buy that time by running around, spinning out, doing all these different things. Case Keenum did a lot of that last week. He did a lot of that uh, this week. And, you know, you just, you, I think you see a guy that's uh, good. He knows his limitations. He knows he doesn't have the strongest arm. And now he's in a system where they uh, don't try to put him in a situation where he has to try to show arm strength, but where he can just play off instinct and make, you know, those easier throws that were shorter, but he brought a good timing, you know, so I think Case Keenum is, uh, he's kind of in the perfect situation for him, you know, he's, he's able to be himself, but then he, uh, whenever plays need to be made, the coaches put him in position to make the play, and uh, Case Keenum, he's, he's hot right now, <laughs> you know, the fact that, uh, the fact that Teddy Bridgewater is ready to play, and they won't play him, like, they won't give him the job back, I mean, if you were to come into the if you were to come into this season and say Teddy Bridgewater be, will be ready to play on whatever week, and Case Keenum's going to be the starter at the time, there's no person alive that would say Case Keenum's going to hold on to the job when he's ready. But he's doing that right now, so I think it's going to be a t- I think it's going to be a tough matchup. And you know, yeah, everyone can say yeah, the Rams defense knows Case Keenum. Well, he knows the Rams defense, so it works both ways. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup, no matter what. Two notes. Number one, I would pay upwards of $1,000 to watch this game with Jeff Fisher. Number two, in all seriousness, <laughs> the Rams didn't miss Robert Quinn on Sunday. Does that, does that trouble y'all? What, how, do y'all? How do y'all feel about the fact that this team didn't, even without Connor Barwin, without their starting outside linebacker edge rushers, they didn't look like they missed either of them? No, it doesn't trouble me. I mean... <laughs> We've talked about it a bunch of times, you know, uh, the pass rush, it just hasn't been that good. Um, I've said a million times over, the guy that I want to see get on the field, they keep marking him as inactive on game day because he's buried on the depth chart. But uh, Ron Price, Price, I would love love to see Ron Price on the field. You know, it's just that simple. I'm happy to see Simpson, uh, uh, Bakukam. Boom. Um, (laughs) Boom, gang. (laughs) I'm happy to see him finally on the uh, field doing something, um, he was unblocked, and he came flock screaming off the edge for the sack and got the forced fumble. And, you know, he, he had a couple of good tackles just uh, in the run game as well, you know. So it's nice to see him doing something. But 
overall the Rams, honestly, and I'm not even kidding, I was watching the game, and I said it last week to myself, and I said it again this week, the Rams have to go out this offseason and get a pass rusher. They have to. They have to get somebody else because Aaron Donald is actually being held back because there's no threat um, other than him. And when there's no threat like consistent pass rusher, Michael Brockers is playing some amazing football, but he's not a pass rusher, you know. When there's no true threat as a true, legit pass rusher, go get after your quarterback, they're able to attack Aaron Donald. Now, the fact he's still able to apply as much pressure as he is shows how good he is, but Aaron Donald should have right now probably like 12 sacks. <laughs> if, you, if you're watching the game and you're seeing it, you're like, holy crap, they're all over him. You know, they got to get a pass rusher. Yeah, I can't disagree. It doesn't it, it doesn't make me feel bad because at least the depth is showing that I think they're NFL caliber players. It's pretty impressive that there's no drop off from a guy who was drafted in the fourth round considered uh, a project like Ebucom to uh, a guy like Robert Quinn, 19 sacks in an NFL season. But at the same time, it also tells you and shows you how far Robert Quinn's fallen. So, I and I, I totally agree with getting an edge next year. I think it's practically a guarantee at this point. What you think, Joe? I think he's got six games or seven games to 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 convince everybody otherwise, right? I mean, if he doesn't, uh, it's just hard to think. As much as people have talked about Tavon Austin's contract. I think the difference was Tavon never got to the heights that we had always hoped for him to get to. Bobby Q used to be there, right? You go back to 2013, 2014, he was that guy. It's just that he, you know, he hasn't been the last two seasons. You miss half the year. The numbers aren't there. And now that we're headed into the biggest football, if it's more of the same where he just seems to be a guy on the field who isn't finishing plays, and it doesn't even have to be sex. If he's not consistently disrupting passers the way Aaron Donald does, it's just going to be hard to justify, you know, continuing to keep him around at that price when, like you said, you can go out and either get comparable talents who are performing for the same price or to go in on somebody younger and hope that they can develop into the same kind of player for cheaper. Exactly. And when you go younger, you usually go through the draft. Speaking of the draft, Yo, what do you have for college football? Interesting week of college football. It was a great week. Let me ask you all this. So here's part of my problem as an addict for football. Uh, I got up early. I watched 9 o'clock Eastern time, college game day started. I watched football all day until roughly 1230 the next day. So that's 15 16 hours, 16 hours of straight football. So, so how did you spend your Saturday? Ha, unfortunately, you didn't have the uh, same as you. I was stuck doing homework. But, no, I, I think it's a great thing that I don't know anything about the draft right now or college football <laughs> because I don't watch it as a fan as much as other you do, for example. I, I kind of just watch it just for, like, draft and NFL purposes. For the draft. I think it's great that I don't, I don't know a single thing right now and I don't want a single thing as far as we're doing good. So That's a good thing, so, though. That it means that you don't necessarily fall into the groupthink. Because this was, this was definitely one of those weekends where the groupthink blew up, right? 
You had number yeah. one Georgia get pounded. Get it wasn't just that they got beat out. by Auburn. They, oh, my God. Dude, that defensive line for Auburn, I know they're incredibly young. They got some guys that aren't going to come through the draft for at least another year. To me, that was who won the game, was the, the defensive line first for Auburn and then their offensive line second. The lines dominated. You had an Alabama-Mississippi State game, incredibly competitive, um, that ultimately Alabama was able to get a win with. Notre Dame at Miami, an incredibly fun game where Miami just looks like one of those teams. There's, there's more talented teams in Miami. Miami's the team you just don't. Well, whatever he was. Whatever he was saying about Miami, I disagree. Miami is talented, and they are not joking. They're young. That's what makes them so interesting is the fact of how young they are in their ball. And they got true freshmen all over the field getting after guys. Like, it's not even not even close. But I, think, I, think I told you all. You said what? I think it's the chain. <laughs> you know what? The, uh, the The interesting thing about it is, like, you look at Georgia um, firing Mark Rick, and he goes to Miami. And when he went to Miami, I was speaking to my friend, and we both was just like, oh, boy. <laughs> it was like cause Mark Rick's a good coach. You know, he did wonderful things for Georgia. But then you send it to Miami where they just are loaded with talent, and the only thing they've been missing is a coach. And now they have a coach, and you're seeing the, re- the results, and it's just like it makes perfect sense. You know, they, they, they're a loaded team full of talent. But – I told everyone weeks ago when my Tigers were one in six, I said, you know what? They're going to win out from here. And not only are they going to win out, but they are going to, they're going to have a finish with a respectable seven and, and six record. And so far I'm still right. They won every game since then. So they're getting back on track. It, it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Hometown Tigers getting after it. So, so we got I passed get, we out and I woke you. up and Myson was talking about Missouri. What I missed? What happened? <laughs> yeah. I we were talking about how much better they are than North Texas. Missouri, you're foolish. Um, hey, Joe, I did, know I not, did, I, did, have, have, did I not tell you they're going to win out? You didn't listen. They're, they're, they're on the way, man. They're on the I way. Didn't. Here's, the sad, here's the sad thing is with each victory – I think less of their opponents, right? And like, look, you know, congratulations to Missouri for getting this done. But each game, when you, they beat Idaho by 47 points, right? Okay, it's Idaho. Then you beat Connecticut by 40 points. It's like, yeah, Connecticut. Then you beat Florida by 29. It's like, man, Florida just got. Then you beat Tennessee by 33. Each victory is making me think less and less and less of their opponents. And not more about Missouri. It's sad, man. Hey, it is sad. Hey, 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 there's a reason I told you they were going to win out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, just know that they're doing better than North Texas. Are they? That is, is that not true. <laughs> it is, is not true. true. North, Texas, North Texas is about to win the division and go to the Conference USA Championship. But everybody knows Ooh. that. We're a quality program, and that's why we're beloved by most of the country. The, the bigger issue is who the hell is going to play in the playoffs. This is going to be the first year where it's going to be a no-win situation. There's no way that the committee is going to pick four teams in a way that everybody agrees with. You're going to have to decide. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're going to have a couple things where 
we're going to get whatever the committee values the most this year. Do they value head-to-head? Because you had Georgia play Notre Dame. You had Oklahoma play some different teams. You had Notre Dame play a ton of teams, and they, got, they still got games left to come. Uh, even though they don't have a conference championship, you know, Notre Dame has played Georgia. They played Michigan State. They played USC. They're still going to – they've just played Miami, and they're still going to play Stanford. So they've got tons of games where you can get some head-to-head uh, comparisons against other guys that are going into the playoffs and try to figure out, do they value conference championships, Right. If Alabama loses the conference championship, does that make Georgia an automatic playoff team? Does whoever wins the Big Ten conference championship get in? Those are the kind of questions that we don't really know. And for the first time, I think we're going to have to to see if the if they really care about strength of competition, where you've got a team like Wisconsin that just hasn't played the caliber of schedule of many of their peers if they get through the season and they look either unblemished or to, to grab a loss and still win the Big Ten, where do they end up getting seated? I think this is going to be the first time that the committee is going to have to piss off a good chunk of the country, if not the majority, because they're just going to have to make an unpopular decision. So, Joe, let me ask you this. What is your top four for the playoffs right now? As of right now. Playoffs start tomorrow. Who do you have? Yeah, so obviously Alabama's number one. They're still undefeated. They're still Alabama. And, they, you know, credit them for going to Mississippi State and getting a tough road win. That's never easy. That's going to be number one. Uh, probably for me, my number two would be Miami. Since they're still undefeated, it's hard to get around the fact that they're undefeated. And they play who they played. Now, the interesting thing is they're going to have the ACC championship. So they're if they stay undefeated or even if they get one loss, their only games remaining are Virginia, uh, Pitt, and then the Clemson game at the end of the season. So even if they win or lose the Clemson game, they still have the ACC championship. And if they lose two games, that changes everything. If they lose the Clemson and win the ACC championship, I'd probably still have them in there. But as it stands right now, at least they're number two. Number three, it's hard to do a two-loss Auburn team above Oklahoma, Clemson, and Wisconsin, cause they're one, or even Georgia because those are one-loss teams, and then Wisconsin's undefeated. I'd probably have Clemson as my number three. But, again, you know, you've got Miami. You've got the ACC championship in front of them. And then I'd probably have Oklahoma because of the strength of who they've played and the strength of their wins. The other thing, and this is going to be real interesting, Oklahoma played Ohio State at the beginning of the season. How much does that matter to people based on how Ohio State looks now? Because I've heard a lot of people say – you know, that, that if they played again, that they think Ohio State would beat Oklahoma right now. And, and you know, especially when you're coming off a 48-3 to win over Michigan State, I get it. But it's one of those yeah. things where you feel like, okay, but the game's got to matter. I get it. It was all the way at the beginning of the season. When, back then, that was as big a game as Alabama-Florida State. And the, Oklahoma and Alabama passed those tests. I feel like that needs to matter for something. The same way Ohio State beating Penn State. When Penn State was number two, that needs to matter for something at the end of the season. Otherwise, and this is kind of me just as an impartial fan, me as an impartial fan, if you start devaluing those victories, you're not going to get those non-conference games because if teams don't get awarded for – if Oklahoma doesn't get awarded for beating Ohio State – why are they going to start? Why are they going to keep scheduling those games? Right. The the importance of those games is it's the best college football programs playing each other, and I think you deserve to get awarded for it. So I'd have Alabama, Miami, 
Clemson at three and Oklahoma at four. So that's two ACC teams. But, you know, the rest of the season, you got the Miami Clemson, and then you got the Iron Bowl, Alabama Auburn, and then followed by some conference championships. It, it really doesn't matter what we rank them today because they're going to have to play each other in the month ahead, and you're going to stack up some losses that's just going to make it impossible to find a consensus top four. You know, my top four is a lot shorter than that conversation you had with yourself. But Alabama <laughs> plus three? <laughs> I don't know. It's not that easy. Um, I would say Alabama number one. You know, they've earned it. Yeah. Number two, Miami. Yeah. Number three, I'm about to shock the hell out of you. <laughs> number two is Miami. Number three, Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma sure. uh, is simply – Better, or you know, more. They bring more to the table than everyone else. They got the, uh, but, they got the best quarterback in the country with a decent team. Exactly. However, however, you know, I don't feel right putting Miami or uh, not Miami, but Oklahoma at number three. I because of the loss, I have to. Uh, I have and be not just because of the loss, but who the loss was to. I have to take that into account. Now, they're not a bad team, Iowa State, but it happens, you know. Uh, so I would actually have to say Oklahoma's number four. And number three, the shocker, it's not Clemson, Wisconsin. I have to put them in there. Um, they're undefeated. They are undefeated, and you look at the way that they just stumped on Iowa, and then you look at the way Iowa stumped on Ohio State, you know. They, uh, Wisconsin, they're they're handling business, you know, and it's not their fault of who they've played so far. You know, they they're still handling business, and the teams they played, they 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 won convincingly. You know that that means something. You know, when you can win convincingly, consistently, and so I would say that it's one Alabama, two Miami, three Wisconsin, and four uh, Oklahoma. Now, part of the reason, other than the fact of the loss for Oklahoma, part of the reason that Oklahoma's number four. Because I would love, I think that just uh, as far as the playoffs go, it's a better matchup to see Wisconsin and Miami, and it's a better matchup to see Oklahoma and Alabama to start off, and then see where it goes from there. But uh, yeah, that's that would be my top four right there. One more so, so factor to consider. One more factor to consider is if the committee uh, really cares about learning the lesson from last year, because in last year's playoff. You know, the two teams that got left out were USC and Penn State. And those two teams went and played an absolutely awesome Rose Bowl while Washington and Ohio State got pasted. Uh, And so the question becomes, is the lesson that they learned that the hot teams at the end of the year either make for more compelling playoffs or make for more deserving playoff opponents? Because you've got to think about it this way. Who's going to play Alabama in the first round? If the answer is Wisconsin – Bruh, bruh. <laughs> like I, I, I get it. Wisconsin's you know, undefeated. <laughs> you talk, you talk about uncontrolled hate on the field when that happens. Nobody wants to see that. Those children have parents who are going to be at that game. But, but, so, I mean, but it might be one of those. No, go ahead, game, go ahead. Isn't it the perfect game for the upset? Yeah, until it doesn't happen. I get what you're saying. Right. You know, the team yeah. that just does it, everything it, right, they're just consistent. In Wisconsin, they just they just do their jobs. Are they the most? Which is why it's, team, they, and, Yeah, no, you're right. It's just what this is why the committee is not going to be able to get this right. There there is no right answer, and they got to pick one or two 
And it's, I mean, this is part, I think more than anything, you know who the winner is going to be this year is going to be people defending an expansion of the playoff to more than four teams. Cause I, what, once you get to this decision and you're going to have to leave out a Georgia an Ohio state an Auburn, a Notre Dame, or if somehow those guys climb back into it, that means you're leaving out Miami or Clemson or Oklahoma, or maybe even Alabama. If Alabama drops the Iron Bowl and drops the SEC championship, there's going to be a huge argument for them not to make it. And it's just going to be really hard for the committee to try to sell the idea that a four-team playoff is representative of the best of the best of college football this year, when I think it's going to be pretty obvious that the field needed to be bigger for 2007. Absolutely. There you go. Next week, um, and here's what I'll say. Let's put that UNT-Missouri bowl game on the map. We need that to happen. I want that uh, just for the sake of hashtag Tertial Radio. Next week, and here's the great thing, this is a week for Sosa. This is a Sosa creamy-ass week. You do not need to watch college football this week, guys. There's not a lot going on. You know who Alabama plays next week? Who? <laughs> Mercer. You have any idea where you have any idea where Mercer is? Mercer. Oh, you can say it again. You can see if that jogs the memory. Is it, is it in the same conference as Minnesota State? <laughs> it might be. So. It might be. Mercer is a tiny school in Macon, Georgia. They do play in Division One. It's the Mercer Bears, uh, and they have a football team, which is something I learned this week. Alabama's going to play Mercer. How many points are they going to win by, you think? Jeez, what the hell? <laughs> I'm giving the I'm giving Alabama a victory margin of forty plus. <laughs> it's got to be. So so so, what are your thoughts on Mercer? You did more homework than we did going into this. You know what? I actually just just you know from the head coach looks like I'm uh, I'm on TV this week. So <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. The first thing about Mercer. Nobody does. It's, so it looks like the line for Mercer, it looks like it might be about 50 points. It hasn't officially been posted, but it looks like it's going to be about a 50-point line. That's ridiculous, man. Wow. Mercer University, everybody. <laughs> Mercer University. So, yeah, this is the weekend to take a break. TCU's uh, – I mean, they, the, but like you said, it sets up well for the upsets if you're into upset football. Uh, number six, TCU is going to Texas Tech unranked. Virginia is headed to Miami. Virginia's unranked. Wisconsin's hosting Michigan, unranked. Auburn's hosting Louisiana Monroe, unranked. There's just a lot of uh, upset, and that's just the early slate. You go throughout the day, it's pretty much everybody's the same way. Georgia's got Kentucky. Notre Dame's got Navy. Oklahoma's going to Kansas. Michigan State's bringing in Maryland. LSU goes to Tennessee. There's just not a lot going on. I guess maybe the most compelling game might be the one in Los Angeles, UCLA at the Coliseum at USC, um, big mock draft. First mock draft from Dan Kadar, SB Nation's uh, draft guru, had Josh Rosen going number one overall. That might be the best way to cap this. Did y'all see Kadar's mock? No, I, I have didn't. not. But I agree with it. I agree with I agree with <laughs> Josh Rosen going number I agree with him being number one overall. What were you going to say, Sosa? You, did you see it? No, I have not. Yeah, take a look. Um First mock from Dan is pretty interesting. You got to run on quarterbacks. I think they had four or five quarterbacks in the first 13 picks. Um, and then just a couple random runs. It was five quarterbacks in the first 13, 
four offensive linemen from number five to number 16. You had three defensive tackles from 18 to 21. The Rams are obviously picking pretty late since we're at seven to two, and that's what he's basing the order off of. The thing, and I think we've talked about this a couple times, and maybe so, so this is where you weigh in on kind of who you think is most important to keep or what you think about the state of the roster is that the problem this year with Mont Drafts is we can usually get a good feel for roster needs coming out of a season. I don't think we're going to have any sense of what our needs are until we get to free agency because here's the list of key free agents or at least guys that have deals that are about to expire in alphabetical order. Connor Barwin, Malcolm Brown, Derek Carrier, Cody Davis, Lance Dunbar, Dominique Easley, Trumaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, Matt Longacre, Nikhil Roby Coleman, John Sullivan, Tyron Walker, and Sammy Watkins. So between just those three, Trumaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, and Sammy Watkins, if one of those three doesn't come back, that might catapult their position maybe ahead of edge rusher, don't you think? Yeah, definitely could happen. I think right now, just looking at it, I mean, not really knowing much, most likely it's probably going to be either a corner or an edge or something of that nature. But, I mean, if Sammy walks, you never know, right? So we're definitely going to have an interesting little free agency period, I think. Which one of those guys – let me ask you again, Sos, and then I'll, I'll pipe you, Mike. But which one of those guys would you feel most comfortable saying goodbye to? And I'll throw John Sullivan only in there only because I think he's been such a surprisingly, you know, worthwhile addition. Between Trumaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, John Sullivan, and Sammy Watkins, who would you feel most comfortable if he wasn't on the Rams next year? Oh, man. I would probably have to go to Johnson, I think. I think Joyner, one, he's a really good player. He's young. And I think his safety is going really well. So the more time he gets back there, the more impressive he's going to become. And Sammy, I, I, you, I see any possible way you let him walk. I just honestly can't. You can't. A second round, of the, a second round pick in this league will buy you probably like 97% of the league, right? So, and he's only 24. It's, it's a perfect opportunity for Goff to have an elite receiver to kind of grow with. I would franchise him, but after that, I think it's not elite. most likely true was. What did you say, Mike? He's not elite. Not elite. No, we're gonna have to quit, that one. Listen, y'all gotta quit throwing that word around so loosely. <laughs> He's not elite. <laughs> elite is that cream of the crop. Only a few are that. You know, you're talking about the Odells, the Julio, the AB. He's not in that group. <laughs> He's not elite. He's not better than Mike Evans. Yeah, Mike Evans is elite too. No, he not. Mike Evans isn't elite, and I'm saying he's not better than Mike Evans. I think he's better than them necessarily thus far in their careers, but Mike Evans is elite. His talent is every bit as Mike Evans is. I could say that about a lot of guys. You talk about talent. That's who gives a who gives a shit about talent. It's about production. What are you gonna do? Like the best receivers are consistent. You don't see that consistency with him. You know, you you never have. <laughs> you never have. So yeah, I think it has more to do with injury as opposed to him. well, at least for me. I mean, I mean, I could use the injury excuse for a lot of players. If that's the case, then Sam Bradford's elite. Because his talent is just his injury. Is Sam Bradford a top three quarterback? Be honest. <laughs> is Sammy Watkins a top three receiver? <laughs> be honest. <laughs> like, 
Sammy Watkins is an elite. He's a good player. That's what it is. Let's leave it at that. But he's not elite. He's not that takeover, dominate your uh, receiver room receiver. That, that's not who he is. Um, he's somewhere I, I between. Think... He's somewhere between uh, Mike Evans and Kelvin Benjamin. He's in between those. He's in that group right there. But he's not better than Mike Evans, and he's certainly not in that elite cream of the crop those dogs at the top of the line uh, for receiver. He's not there either. I do think what's maybe most interesting about these last couple of episodes, Myson, is that you've set yourself up for a huge run where Sammy Watkins balls out, Kayvon Webster is a beast, and Robert Quinn oh, just piles three sacks a game in December. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What gonna... I say about Robert Quinn? Hold on. <laughs> Now you don't be putting words in my mouth now. But look, check it out though, real and, quick, and then we gonna get out. We gonna get out of here. Christian McCaffrey just gets Rookie of the Year. White wide receivers get elected to the United States Senate. It's all gonna happen. It's all <laughs> gonna happen, Mason. Look, check it out. Check it out. So I honestly feel like, like I said earlier in the show, I honestly feel like Sammy Watkins and Jerry Goff are gonna get on the same page here in the second half of the season. However. That does not make him an elite receiver. <laughs> I, I just don't. I don't believe that at all. Um, you all saw what I did with uh, the my stat projections. What I think he's going to finish with. I obviously think he's going to catch fire here. Probably have like a two or three game stretch where he's you know really balling out doing some things. But that's about it. You know, and again, I think he's a good receiver. I don't think he's a great receiver. I don't think he's an elite receiver. I don't think he's a top ten receiver in the NFL. He's probably just outside that bubble, but. Overall, he's 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 going to be okay. Uh, I still don't agree with the second round pick. Like I said, from the day it happened, I would have did a third round pick and maybe a a, a sixth. But <laughs> there's no way I'm giving up a uh, a a second round pick. I just thought that was too high for him. Um, whether it's injuries or just inconsistency, but like I said, I see it regularly with him. The the laziness on the routes, the attitude, all that stuff, like. Whatever, I could do without it, you know. Like, you could say whatever you want about Odell being a baby and always crying and whining, but the dude go balls out every play. Like, he's going hard, you know. You don't see that with Sammy. So, you don't, you, it's A.B. balls out every play. He just had one of the, the worst games you've seen him have in the past five years this past week where he had three catches, 47 yards. But you go back and you watch that game, and the dude just balls out every play still. You know, so that's why I say with, with Sammy, I just don't see it. You know, I never have. I didn't see it coming out. Rams rock. He, we went back and forth went over the draft when it was time for her to come out. I didn't see it then. I still don't see it now. It is what it is. So, anyway, that, that's how we're going to end the show. <laughs> Kayvon Webster ain't doing shit. I'm not worried about it. But anyway, so, so, so you want to get let everybody know where to follow you at? All right. You guys can follow me on Twitter at S-O-S-A. All right, good job. So now we're going to move. No, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's about it. Just on Twitter. I'm active. Look for my articles, I guess, at TST. That's about it. Yay for Sosa. Right, Sosa so. NFL draft, everybody. We got to start a Kickstarter. We got to get this man some video games. Apparently, he's playing Canadian Madden, where they only got two teams. This is unacceptable. <laughs> there's a there's a level of Canadian poverty that I was not aware existed. 
pretty much. <laughs> they only have demo mode. <laughs> that was a shock okay. to me too. But anyway, make sure that you make sure you follow Sosa, follow myself at Mighty or Mycin, as well as Joe Three K underscore in the site Turf Show Times. But uh, be back next week, man. This 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 is where it goes. This is what we've been waiting on, Joe. This is what you call the pre-playoff football. Pre-post-season. We are officially in that. Time. We're in that. We're that time now. You know, it's time to see what we're really made of. This is where we get challenged. Starting this week with the Vikings and a former Ram, Case Keenum. I think it's going to be fun. It would have been even more fun if it was Bradford. Could you imagine the trash talk that week? <laughs> ah. Anyway, <laughs> wish food. Jeff Fisher, anything. if you're listening, fifteen hundred bucks cash. Holler at me. <laughs> we know you can use it. You're unemployed, but anyway. <laughs> so anyway, we'll see you all next week. Until then, make sure you're following the Rams closely. Make sure you watch the game this weekend. It's going to be a good one. We out. Jackie and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scoffs. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to that. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty. But we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hanson, Dodge City Tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Dita. Nobody dresses Twitter. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. I know how to rock from the toes to the head When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead I'm a mountain man from West VA They call me Herc and I came to play I learned long ago to ram it just right You can ram it all day and ram it all night
my puppet eyed man. If Eric can't get it, I will and I can. I'm strong as it comes, but I've got a brain. And stopping me is like stopping a train. I'm Carl Lee, the general of the D. I make the calls, I'm the coach in LB. This motorcycle, this has got style and class. If you come my way, I'll knock you on your ass. your name's intimidated. I pass it my way, I'll see you later. Quick on my team, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The ice man coming, the roar is the name. I cover the corner, interception's my game. Score more than anybody else on the D, cause I move like a cat as you will see. The guys call me tickets that are dicks son. I lead the reins, I'm the ram top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweetness than the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, wanna bring anyone. But enough about me, we hit a ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. This boy playing a two-team Canadian video game demo. That's about the damn saddest thing I've My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.